Okay, we are still Genesis 39. I know that I had moved a little bit into chapter 40 last week, and as I was preparing this week, I, I really felt, and, and I really try to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, I really felt that I needed to touch on a few more points about the life of Joseph from chapter 39. So I want to start reading again. And so what we're going to do is we're actually going to look at this from a, from a different facet. So the same story, but, but we're, we're turning this gem a little bit and looking at it from a different, a different viewpoint. Uh, because I really want to focus in right now on the life of Joseph and relate that to how we ought to be walking and also about the life of Jesus. So let's start reading again from verse 6 of chapter 39 of Genesis. Verse 6. 39 verse 6 of Genesis. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her, beside her or be with her. And so then it goes into the, uh, the parts that we had talked about last week. And, and again, uh, uh, you know, I gave you my view on this. It would be very interesting if, if, a, if a man, say, say I had a man working in my home and that man had tried to rape my wife. The last thing that I would do is say, you know, it's probably not good for you to be about around my house anymore, but let me make you in charge of my laboratory. You know, that, that's not what you do with somebody that you generally believe has tried to rape your wife. But, uh, um, but, so, so, but let's look at now the heart of Joseph, because within this whole chapter, chapter 39, there's, there's 23 verses that are written about what's happening in Joseph's life. But there's only two verses in which he actually speaks. And there we, we see the character of this man, the quality of this man. And so it, it says, in, again, in verse, in verse, end of verse 6, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So he was a handsome young man. Again, he's in his mid-twenties at this time. And he is commanded, he is commanded in verse 7 to lie with, his, with the wife in this home. So remember, he's a slave. She is master in this home. The master being the, 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 the man, but he's out. She's the wife. She commands him. And he refuses, and in his refusal, he says to her, in verse 8, But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, but he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great this great evil and sin against God. And so what's interesting about this is that he has an amazing appreciation for what he has in Christ. 
in, in, in God, what he has in this home, in the, through his master. And if you, if you look at this, this same sort of thing, um, uh, if we learn to appreciate everything that we have in Christ, uh, uh, there's, there's this uh, verse, let me see if I can find this verse, that, that, um, uh, that how much we have been given in Christ everything has been given to us and how we need to to regard that 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 so this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 5 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 5 says this that in everything you were enriched in him in speech and in all knowledge in everything we are enriched in Christ every good thing in our life has come because of Jesus 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 5 that in everything you were enriched in Christ Every good thing we have is because of Jesus. Every good thing we have. And this, this young man, in spite of his being a slave, in spite of his being kidnapped, and he knows from chapter 40, verse 15, he says, in fact, I was kidnapped. He realizes this. It's not like he's oblivious to what happened to him. But he says, look, I've been put in charge of this whole house. Look at everything that I've got. We need to learn to be appreciative to, for everything we've got. You say, well, you know, such and such is bad in my life. Well, let me ask you this. Do you have two eyes that you can see with? Do your ears work? Can you hear? Do you have a car? Do you have an apartment to live in? You know, look at all the things that you have in Jesus. You know, Jesus said this. He says, he says the, 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 birds, the, the birds of the air have nests. The foxes have holes. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus did not have a home of his own. He did not. If you have a home, you have more than Jesus had when he walked on this earth. Everything, every good thing we have, it changes our whole perspective when we look at this. How could this young man who's caught in, sl in slavery, being kidnapped and thrown into slavery, from being in a very high position in his father's home, Having a lot, his father was a very wealthy man. Speak like this, and he realized how much good. He says, there's no one greater than me, no one in this house greater than I. And he, he's withheld nothing from me except you. He says, I have everything. Uh, don't you realize you're a slave? He says, I have everything. Everything I need, I have. It changes our perspective. Look at the quality of this guy. And then he says, he, he says, but he's withheld you from me because you are his wife. So again, remember kindly, he's, re he's reminding her, you are his wife. And then he relates it. How could I do this great evil and sin against God? Remember, we went chapter after chapter without any mention of God in the book of Genesis. And these men went astray. His brother... His own brother is going out and hitting up on prostitutes. No mention of God in those chapters. He is the guy who brings in the word God. He says, how can I do this sin, this great evil and sin against God? He didn't have the word of God like we have written. What he had, what was passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, his father, and what he received from Jacob, his father. This is all he had was the word of God that was put in his life from his father, Jacob. And he realizes, how could I do this great evil and sin against God? In verse 10, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. She kept on inviting him to lie beside me. Lie beside me. I mean, it's pretty harmless. Just lie down here. 
just, want to, just lie down here. Here I am on this couch. Just lie down beside me. Or be with her. I don't know of any greater temptation that anyone in the Bible has ever had except the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness by Satan himself. I don't know of any. This is the greatest temptation that I know that has ever been put before a person in the Bible. Other than the temptation of Jesus when he was in the wilderness. Because I look at this from the eyes of a young man. Because I was there. From the eyes of a young man who's 25 years old, he is in slavery. He could easily say, well, look, I'm a slave. I got to do what she commands me to do. The master's away. I mean, she's commanding me. You know, what can I do? He's away from his family. He's away from everything. And I say, may I learn from this, Lord? May I learn from this? Many of you young men, many of you young women are going to be traveling one day again for your businesses. And you're going to be away from your family. And temptations will come your way. And how we learn, have to learn to listen to this and to say, how could I do this evil and sin against God? He knew God sees everything. He absolutely knew this. This is a tremendous temptation. And then the false accusations that are thrown against him, the false accusations, and then he's thrown into this prison. So let's move on down to verse 20 of the same chapter because we covered a lot of this the last two weeks. Move on to verse 20 of chapter 39 of Genesis. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. This is an amazing passage concerning the viewpoint, the duality of viewpoints here. In verse 20, in verse 20, he's thrown in a jail. In verse 21, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. Huh? Hello? Extended kindness? You call this kindness? You call this kindness? God extended kindness. We have a God that lives outside of space and time. So imagine living outside of time. So, so, so T, time, is taken out of the equation. So now you see everything all at once. It, from God's perspective, God knows what the end is. So to God, he's just setting up the whole thing for blessing because he lives outside of time. We are confined to time. We are confined to this. But God sees differently than we do because he lives outside of time. So he says, Jacob, I'm being really kind to you because I am going to set this up that you go from, because being a slave is not low enough. I want you to be a slave in prison. And then I'm going to bring you up to the top of Egypt. Being a slave isn't low enough. I want, I want to do a re remarkable thing and bring you up from the lowest position you could possibly be in. That's what I want to do. Because God lives outside of, of this whole time thing. And he sees and he extends kindness to him. And it says in verse 21, he extended kindness to him 
and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. Gave him favor in the midst of what we were we are in. God extends favor. This is remarkable. The the life of this is a young man in his mid twenties. God is extending kindness from God's perspective. This is utter kindness. I'm being kind to you, Jacob, uh, 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 Joseph. I'm being kind to you. I'm being kind to you. And we don't see any negative thought within Joseph. Nothing negative in Joseph. To the contrary. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Right there in the prison, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him right there in the prison. The Lord was with was with uh, um, Joseph right there in the prison. In the prison, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Again, is this prosperity? In God's eyes, it's prosperity. In God's eyes, it's prosperity. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23. And let me give you the context here. Acts chapter 23. Paul is in Jerusalem. And, and there's a crowd that just, just goes crazy. Oh, oh, and, and Paul stands up to give a testimony about Jesus. In his standing up to give a testimony about Jesus, the crowd gets all the more upset with him and tries to kill him. So here he is in Acts 23 trying to witness to his brethren, the Jewish people, and as a result of his trying to preach to them, they want to kill him. So in order to protect his life, the commander takes him and has him thrown in the jail just as a matter of protection, to protect his life, so that this commander can figure out what on earth is going on here. Why do these people want to kill him? So, in Acts chapter 23, let's start reading from verse 10. And as a great dissension was developing, the commander was afraid Paul would be torn in pieces by them and ordered the troops to go down and take him away for them, from them by force and bring him into the barracks. But on the night immediately following... The Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for you have solemnly witnessed to my cause in Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. Look at this picture. Paul witnesses to his brethren whom he loved. Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, he says, It is my, my heart's desire and my prayer for them is for their salvation. My heart's desire and my prayer for them is for their salvation. He wanted so badly for his Jewish brethren to get saved. He said, it is my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you this little anecdote. I have never been successful in seeing people come to Jesus without those two points. Just praying for them is insufficient. I must have a burning heart desire for them to be saved. You must have your heart's desire burning for them to be saved and praying for them. Those two, prayer alone has never worked for me. I must burn in my heart for them to be saved. And this is why I, I, I quote uh, uh, Jeremiah 9, chapter 9, verse 1. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people, that I might weep for the lost. And it's as, as I weep for them and I say, Lord, Bring people to salvation. Bring them to salvation. That then I see them get saved. This man 
who had his heart, he said, I would even give up my salvation in Jesus to see my brethren saved. In Romans chapter 10, verse 2 and 3. But here, this man, he witnesses to them. They go crazy. They want to kill him. So he's thrown in the jail. Imagine sitting in the jail saying, wow, I really blew it. I tried to witness to my Jewish brethren and they got so angry they wanted to kill me. I don't know if you've ever tried to share the Lord with somebody and it's not gone well. They've ended up leaving more upset than they started and you think, wow, I really blew it. It's happened to me all the time. So don't worry, it happens all the time. If you witness enough, some people are going to get upset by things. But anyway, he's sitting in this, in this barracks on the night immediately following. So this is the next, that, that night, the, the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side. So Jesus, that's the Lord, the Lord Jesus stands in the barracks next to him. Hey, hi, Paul. Jesus, you're here. <laughs> right next to him, the Lord stood at his side. That's what it says. The Lord Jesus shows up in the barracks, in the jail, and stands at his side. And he says to Paul, take courage, for you have solemnly witnessed to my cause in Jerusalem. And Paul is like, huh? I blew it. I blew it. They got upset with me. Jesus, no. I thought that was great. I thought you did a great job. You have solemnly witnessed to my cause in Jerusalem. You did so well. Now you're going to witness in Rome also. I'm going to send you to Rome to witness because you did so well here in Jerusalem. Paul's like, wow. I mean, you take what I thought was a mess and you turn it into something great. Now, he doesn't tell Paul, on your way to Jerusalem, on your way to Rome, you're going to spend two more years in prison. And I've seen the place that Paul was imprisoned there in, in uh, Caesarea. It's right by the coast, and it gets awfully cold and windy in the, in the wintertime. And Paul spent two years there. And then he was going to go through a shipwreck. And, yeah, another shipwreck he was going to go through. And then he was going to be imprisoned in Rome before he ever got to really start sharing. So he didn't tell him that. I mean, why bother with the details, Paul? I just, I'm going to send you to Rome. And it's a good thing he doesn't give us all the details in life. For us, we'd be like, no, you can't be serious. I mean, that, that, that's just, just too much to bear. But um, uh, this is what he does. This is what he does. This is how he, he fills us. He takes us and he, he makes everything so much different. As we view him as good, as we view him as good, he just fills our life. So, so look at this. Look in John chapter 14, verse 23. This is all about the goodness of Jesus. All about the goodness of Jesus. It, Jesus met Paul in the prison, met him, stood at his side, right there. It was right there by his side. Now turn to John chapter 14, verse 23. Look what Jesus said. Jesus answered and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And if you keep my word, you know what's going to happen? If you, Jesus said, if you obey my word, my Father who's in heaven is going to love you. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. Who's the we? That is Jesus and his Father. We will come to him. In the context is Jesus. It's 
Who's Jesus talking about? He's talking about his father. We will come to him. So that means Jesus and his father will come to him and make our abode with him. You can be in jail. You can be stuck in your house because of a coronavirus. Jesus said, if you keep my word, my father and I will come and make our abode with you. We will be there with you if you keep my word. It's just amazing. This guy, Joseph, keeps the word of God, walks in the fear of God, and and God just meets him in prison, extends kindness to him, and blesses him over and over again. And so what happens is, is when we view God as good and kind, we see him as good and kind. If we view him as corrupt and evil and hard, this is what we get. These are the types of things that come upon us. Look in Luke chapter 19. Look in Luke chapter 19. The very way we view God, if we view God as being evil, we'll think that everything around us is going wrong and is bad. Luke chapter 19, reading from verse 20. Luke chapter 19, reading from verse 20. Another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are an exacting man. You take up what you do not lay down, and you reap what you did not sow. Look at this man's view of the master. He views him, he says, I'm afraid of you, because you are an exacting man. You take up what you do not lay down, and you reap what you do not sow. He viewed, he viewed his master as, exact, as an exacting man. Verse 22, But he said to him, By your own words I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man? Take up, and I'm able to take up what I did not lay down and reap what I, I did not sow? And then he, then he goes on, and, and so, so then he goes on to talk about that. But, but you see that, that we must view God for who He is. As we view God as good and righteous and holy, it totally changes our perspective on life because He is good and righteous. If we view Him as mean, it's like that's what's going to come upon us. We are to view Him as kind and gracious. Joseph said, how could I do this great evil and sin against God? It's like He's my friend. How could I sin against God? As we view Him, we experiencing him. We experience him in life. Look, in 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 uh, th- this is exactly what happened to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter one verse twenty seven. In Deuteronomy chapter one verse twenty seven, it says, "And you grumbled in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us." Their view of God is that God hated them. The children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 27, their view of Him, and they grumble against, because the Lord hates us, He brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites. The very way they viewed Him is what came upon them. We are to view God as good and gracious, not as being evil and unkind, not as being evil and unkind. We view Him as being good and gracious to us. How good God is to us. Look in uh, um, Philippians. Look in Philippians now. Chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. This is Paul is speaking now from prison. Paul is in prison. Let's see what Paul says from prison. 
in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard to everyone and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Here is a man speaking from prison. Paul was imprisoned because of the cause of the gospel. He says in verse 12, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. What? Paul, you're not out preaching anymore. You are stuck in a prison. Well, you know what that did? That caused Paul to have to stay put and write the New Testament. Paul wrote most of the New Testament from prison. God knew what he was doing by putting him in prison. Paul didn't realize it at the time. Paul didn't realize that these letters that he was writing to Timothy, these letters that he's writing to the Philippians, that these letters that he's writing are going to become the basis for the New Testament. But he says... I want you to know that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, even based on what he could see. He thought, God's still working. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known through the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else. Everyone in the Praetorian Guard. So he was in, in uh, the king's uh, 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 prison there. And the whole guard knew about him and knew about his imprisonment, and the word of God was becoming well known among all the guards. All the guards in the prison were hearing about Jesus through Paul. And Paul said, this is great. How else would they ever hear about Jesus? My imprisonment, he says, is okay. I can accept this. And then in verse 14, and most of the brethren, brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Paul's being in prison emboldened the believers to speak all the more. And then he goes on. He goes on to talk about this thing. He says, he says that, uh, verse 15, some to be sure are preaching Christ even from envy and strife and some from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. So some people were trying to take Paul's disciples and preach to them a contrary gospel and draw them astray because Paul is locked up in prison. And you know what he said? I'm okay with that. Christ is preached. They'll be fine. I rejoice. I mean, he refused to sit and to, to, to worry about all the things that he couldn't change in his life. He refused to worry about this. He refused to worry about these things that, that were going on in his life that, 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 uh, that, that might, might cause disruption. I mean, you see the perspective from a prison. Let's look again in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Paul is again a prisoner and he's writing a letter to his beloved son Timothy, who was his son in the faith. In the faith. He said, to, to me, Timothy is like my son. 
He's writing to Timothy, and so we get an inside view of what Paul is writing to someone whom he loved like a son. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Look what he says. He says, remember Jesus, remember Jesus risen from the dead. Remember his resurrection, the power of the resurrection. Remember Jesus risen from the dead. It's in this we are saved, that we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he's risen from the dead. The power of the resurrection. He says, first of all, Timothy, remember the resurrection. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I give to you that which is most important. I preach to you a first thing of most importance, that Christ Jesus was was buried, was crucified. He was buried and then he rose from the dead. The most important thing about Jesus is that he rose from the dead. That's the most important thing. He says, you just remember his resurrection from the dead. He's descendant from David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. He was imprisoned as a criminal. You'd say, oh, well, you know, he was imprisoned, but everybody knew the imprisonment. You know, they knew he was a great guy and he was just being imprisoned for the cause of the gospel. No, the vast majority of his brethren viewed him as an utter criminal. Joseph was viewed as a criminal. Therefore, he was thrown into, into that jail. This man was viewed as a criminal. But look what he says. But the word of God is not imprisoned. I may be stuck in my home in a coronavirus, but the word of God is not imprisoned. I just have to think more creatively about how I can share the gospel. And the Lord will give me creativity with that. He is birthing forth some things that I never thought of in being able to preach the gospel, things that ways that I never thought I would be able to do. He is going to cause even greater things to be birthed forth in this time. He says, but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. Who are the chosen? The New American Standard calls them chosen. The King James calls them the elect. He says, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. Who are the chosen? It says right here. So that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with it, and with it eternal glory. These are the ones who are to receive the gospel and receive it and become saved. These are not the brethren. They are the chosen. We are among the chosen, but these chosen that he's talking about, all these ones that need to receive the gospel, all these ones that are going to come in and get saved. Look at his perspective on life. Look, I'll tell you, I, I, I live just like you do. I'm not, I'm not an apostle, and, and uh, I go through the same things you do. M- several of you are, are, are young professors just starting out. Several of you are, are soon-to-be professors or things like this. Let me tell you, if, if I look back over my career, I've been a professor now for 32 years. I wrote so many proposals. I, I submitted 37 proposals in my first 36 months as a faculty member. In three years, I submitted 37 proposals. Yeah, Joel, that's what I did. I mean, it's just, just an amazing number. And, and, and computers weren't that good back then. You had to leave a space and 
make your structures separately and paste them in. Actually, leave a space. You cut things out and you paste them in. That's what cut and paste meant. It had some meaning back then. And, and then you would run off lots of copies of this, like 12, 14, 18 copies. Uh, 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 George remembers this type of thing. And then you'd, you'd go through every copy to make, through every, make sure every page was there, and then you'd mail it in to the NSF or to the NIH. And I submitted 37 proposals like that. And, and uh, so many of them were not funded. I remember writing these proposals to the NIH and thinking, they're not funded, they're not funded. And what was God doing? He was directing my path. By those not getting funded, it forced me to write and start submitting proposals in this area of material science, and I started uh, doing things in the area of molecular electronics. It ended up, I submitted just... I don't even know why I did it. I had never thought of writing to the Navy before. I submitted a proposal on molecular electronics to the Navy for the Office of Naval Research Young Investigator Award, and I had no idea that in the entire division they would only give two awards that year to young investigators. I had no idea. Had I known, I would But I, I got it. I remember them calling me on the phone and telling me that I won this, and it didn't even click. I was so naive. It didn't even click. They're, they're trying to tell me that I won this thing and I'm not even getting it because they don't want to be too committal until the formal paperwork comes through. But it was like, I, I, I didn't even get it. And then finally, when the paperwork came through, my colleagues were like, you won the Office of Naval Research Young Investigator Award? I'm like, yeah, what is that? Like, like two in the whole country get given every year and you won that? And what it did, it has set me in this place where I was working on molecular electronics so that when six, seven years later, when nanotechnology, this word started being used, people were saying, what is that? People say, oh, that's what that guy Jim Tour does. I, would, I found myself in this place, like, boom, just brought up like, like Joseph in Egypt, boom, just exalted. God did everything to say, no, you're not going to get that proposal from the NIH. Why he let me submit four or five proposals to the NIH that were not funded? He wanted me to become a better proposal writer, I suppose. And, and uh, this, what he does is he does all these things behind the scenes in our lives to set us up for something greater. To set us up for something that, that's, that, that's greater. I mean, it, I would have I had no idea. I had a... One of the students, the first, like in the second year I was there, he started working for me and he wanted to work in this crazy area. This, this molecule C60 had been discovered. He said, I want to work on that. I said, this is not what we just see. I, I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know what he was talking about. And he said he, he wanted to buy an arc welder and start arcing rods and a thing. And a thing. All right, do whatever you want. And he did it and we learned how to purify gram quantities of C60 and it just boom, the whole field exploded because people could start making massive amounts of it. And then he wanted to start making carbon nanotubes when they first came out. I said, what carbon nanotubes? These are crazy. And then, and then uh, boom, he started making these things. And so then we started doing all these things with carbon nanotubes. And, and, uh, uh, and, and then years later when graph, graphene came in, I had a student, he wanted to work on graphene. I said, that's not really what we do. And boom, and then... The, you know, one more carbon allotrope and I'll, my whole career will be done. I mean, it just, just put me there. Just at the beginning of all of these things. And he set me up for these things. And, and uh, uh, 
I am thankful. I, you know, at this point, when I look back, I'm thankful for all the proposals that were not funded, or else I would be doing much less interesting things. He sets us up. He does so many things in our lives that are a blessing to us, that help us as we go along. And He's setting this whole thing up. You see the goodness of God. Do not view Him as evil. Do not view Him as unkind. He is kind and gracious in every respect. If you view Him as evil and unkind, you will see your whole world as evil and unkind around you. If you think He is singling you out for evil, you are wrong. But that's how you will view Him. That's how you will see Him if you continue to try to view Him like this. He is good. He is gracious in every respect. Paul said, you know, here I am in prison again, but it's going to be greater. It's going to be greater for my message of the gospel. Here we are locked up in our homes. He's doing something in our hearts. He's trying to get our attention in some way. And He's trying to birth us forth into new things, in new ways. He's doing something greater. That's what He does. Jesus is so good. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. And Father, I pray for those here who are on this line who do not know You, who have no idea how good Jesus is, how kind and gracious He is, how You who live outside of space and time can set us up and pour kindness upon us even when the world thinks what's coming upon us is evil. Father, I pray that they, this very day, would say, I believe that Jesus is Lord and that He has risen from the dead. And Father, I pray for the believers that are here that they would trust Jesus, even as Jesus said, I know who has sent me, that He is trustworthy. Thank You, Lord God, that You are trustworthy. Thank You, Lord Jesus, that You stand at our side in the midst of our failures. You stand at our side and You encourage us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your kindness. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you look upon us with good, even when we think that we have utterly blown it. You look upon us with kindness and compassion. Thank you, Lord Jesus, in every respect you are good. You are gracious and kind and righteous. So good to us, Lord Jesus. You are the best, the very best. Father, sear that in our hearts, I pray, that we would look upon our Lord Jesus who gave himself for us and has also given us everything else in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord God, for your mercy. And I pray for these young people as they go forth in their lives that they would take hold of this word, that God means them only good. And if they will but obey the word of Jesus, that he and his Father will make their abode with them. That you make their abode with them. And how could they ever fail? when you make your abode with them. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.